Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is DJ. This is Ish. And this is Pero Let, Let Me, Me Tell, Tell you. you. Dale. thinking about a chancleta <laughs> but did you ever watch her show in english uh i didn't know they had it in english yeah she tried to do a crossover and her her show in english her catchphrase was drop a chicken drop a chicken yes. like un gallo <laughs> or una gallina or una gallina <laughs> yeah uh why would anybody think that was a good idea this is a blonde Brazilian woman who would come out of a spaceship at the beginning of her show. So I think good and ideas... And dress like a little drummer boy. We're not sure why. Right. But... So good ideas were not plentiful. Yeah. But they sure were successful. Damn right they were. I guess in that note... On that note, we're in... <laughs> Welcome, everyone. Bienvenidos. Bienvenidos. Uh, episodio... What is it? 41. It's 41. So now... 40, it's... 41. 41. Yeah, yeah. So now it's older than you. Oui. C'est la vérité. Oh, no. What? Why am I speaking French? I don't know, because that's not even our shtick. Pero, let me deep you. Oh, oh my God. Shtick. Can you imagine if we have a trilingual, like... No, that's too many That's too many things. No, 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 no. You're not puedo con el español, el inglés, el francés, el italiano. When I was more fluent in French... Oh, you used to be very fluent in French. I, when I was more fluent yeah. in French, I, I, w- I would, yeah, I would think in French. And I would, yeah, like, you would think in French. Yeah. When I was really fluent in French, I no longer had to translate. Like, I would think in French. Oh, wow. Um, well, I told you, the first time I went to France, I was like, blah, 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 avec, avec la Francais. <laughs> and now I'm, I'll be that American tourist, like, bonjour. Well, okay, but if we go to France, you'll still be better than me. Oui. Okay, so oui. that's all that matters. And I know how to say the important things, like, uh, bonjour, je voudrais un glacé avec mes poissons, s'il vous plaît. Dove les toilettes. Which is, I would like ice with my drink. Oh, because as you good. know, mm-hmm. I'm that obnoxious American that fills this ice. Oh, no. King Carajo said they would have drink temperature, room temperature. Well, you know, that's a very European thing. No, I don't know. But, you know, that's why when I've gone... We're Caribbean. I've gone to France a few times. I'm like, bonjour, je voudrais mon boisson avec les glacés, s'il vous plaît. Merci. 
Bonjour. Anyway, <laughs> let's take French out of this equation. <laughs> That's <laughs> not better, let me tell you. <laughs> what would that we, translate into? Pero, uh, <laughs> uh, pardon, uh, le dit um, uh, vous? <laughs> sure. Pardon, dit vous? <laughs> pardon, dit vous? <laughs> oui, oui. Oui, oui. Okay. So... I feel that most Americans, what they know is, Voulez-vous coucher avec moi ce soir? Oh. Ah. Ah, 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 ah. Maya. Hey, what was it? Pink? Pink. And Pink was kind of boring. She's just like, no, okay, you know, let's do it for okay, our okay, listeners. Okay, okay. Okay. So do you, you, you do it and I do the... I'm going to just... Do you really think I'm going to make the sounds? Okay, no. Okay. This is true. Um, we all heard your Cardi B. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maya. Pink. Lady, Little Kim. Oh. Christina. Rottweiler, baby. This is what happens when we lock <laughs> ourselves it's in a room. Late. So anyway, let's get to our schedule, regular schedule <laughs> program because our program. listeners are probably like, "Wait, am I listening to Pero? Let me tell you, or an episode of like the Twilight Zone, <laughs> the time in, in two thousand one." <laughs> Speaking of two thousand one, okay, Space Odyssey. Speaking of two thousand one, mm-hmm. do you know what was released on two thousand one? Like, what the, album was released in, in two thousand one? I do know what album was released in 2001. What? Demi. It was the seminal, career-defining soundtrack album that the world has come to know, love, and adore as Glitter. Glitter. Glitter by Mariah Carey. Do you know, (laughs) listeners, that as we record this episode, and you listen to this episode on Friday, Glitter (laughs) is number three on the iTunes Top Top selling albums chart. It is incredible that that has happened. Why do we have sound? Why do we have sound? A little brighter. Do people hear that? I think they might. This is what happens when you record on a computer. Okay, that has a pop up. We should edit that out. I'll figure it out later. Okay, if we do. So yes, glitter. After 17 years after it was released and bombed. So it's definitely a slow chart climber. I would say so. Okay. Okay. I would say so. So yeah, it's number three. Maybe it'll be number one, but it's, it's number so three on iTunes. It's one year shy of graduation. <laughs> it's 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 number three on iTunes. I don't think it ever reached number three on. Well, no, it was number two on Billboard. I think when it was oh, released. Okay. Well, that makes sense. But but also, it's number it happened three. on September 11th. So not much else was happening. That yeah. Day. Yes. Well. <laughs> In terms of album sales. In terms of albums, yes. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of weird and interesting. But you know what? It's the power of, of I guess, the internet and, and now consumer-driven and, and social media. Because I always go back, you and I have talked about this, in the TRL days. Oh, I think it was either 99 or in 2000, that, you know, when TRL was really, really popular, that there was like a whole fan... Um, Thing yeah, going on was, online, they were like campaign that they brought back "Hanging Tough" by New Kids on the Block, and I think it <laughs> they, it, it like topped the chart of yeah. TRL, you know, for more than a day. Yeah, like I don't know, 12, 13, 14 years after it was released, it was like number one on TRL. So you know the power, the power of the people, I guess. The power of the people. Yes, so yes. Dime, get what do you have to tell me? Well, so I actually just saw this. I think it was just released. Um, it, it's a little more recent than Mariah's Glitter, um, <laughs> as far as releases go. 
So we all know and love the game Monopoly, right? Are you talking about Miami? Uh, Miami? No, Opoly? no, 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 no. Literally saw this maybe like an hour before I got here. So you know, it's well, fresh off the press. Fresh off the presses, or fresh off the internet. I don't even know how presses work anymore. Um, Gutenberg would be so sad. Um, so you know, there's lots of Monopoly versions out there. You know, you've got your Big Bang Theory Monopoly, Golden Girls Monopoly. You know, it's, they've done for certain cities, etc. Is this a high Aliyah Monopoly? God, I wish. But no. It's Monopoly for Millennials. Ay, Dios mío. And the tagline, and I want to get this absolutely right, so I'm just going to one second. The tagline for, for the game is, forget real estate, you can't afford it anyway. That's true. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Trust me, I know. <laughs> I know, yeah. That's why I figured you'd, you'd resonate. But I think it's, so they've kind of traded things out. So like, instead of, um, instead of money, you collect experiences. And instead of buying real estate, you go to like music festivals and, you know, things that millennials do. So instead of going to jail, do they go to Co- Coachella? No, no. Instead of going to jail, <laughs> they go to that music festival Jarul had. Oh, that, the fire one? The, the, the fire that was music supposed festival? to be super exclusive, <laughs> and people ended up stranded in some Bahamian, r- random Bahamian island having still cheese and bread sandwiches. I love that. And notice and I said cheese and bread, con, con not cheese. Huh? And frolicking con cochino. Yes. <laughs> So is that... So I there was no Cubans there because we would have killed them and made them in the religion. Yeah, on the beach. Okay, so tell me a little bit more about this so millennialopoly. It, it literally, it's already sold out on Walmart's website. Oh, God. Um, and so I'm, I'm bringing it up right now. So let's see. Uh, instead of vying to build hotels on places like Park Place and Boardwalk, you rack up life experiences like attending a meditation retreat or rescuing an animal. Now, as with everything nowadays, people are unhappy. Millennials find it insulting. I was going to say, they do realize that this is like a parody, right? I don't think they understand parody. If they did, they'd be a lot happier about their life in general. Um, you know, it's so funny that we rag on millennials all the time, and we're like practically on the cusp. Yeah, well, 82 was, is millennial. Well, no, because some say 80. That's the thing. It's very hard to narrow to, to But regardless, whether it's down, 80 but, or 82, we're, we're yeah. very close to it, and, and it's something we so don't identify as or with. At all. But, you know, it's, it's just interesting to me where it's like something as silly as a Monopoly game gets people's panties in a bunch, you know, where it becomes this whole, like, you know, oh, you know, why don't we make one for baby boomers that just shows about, like, you know, how you guys ruined the the, the economy and da, da, da. It's like, calm down, Ashton. Okay? It's a game. So go over there with Willow and have your, your, your chai lattes, which, coincidentally, might actually be one of the pieces you use on the board game. <laughs> Instead of the the, Instead the, thimble. Of the or, or the iron, <laughs> the iron. I hate the iron. I love who's on a plancha to play a game. <laughs> but it's Co- go to Coachella. Go directly to Coachella. Don't collect two hundred dollars. <laughs> well, no, because they can't get jobs anyway. <laughs> but that's why they collect experiences, experience points. Essentially. So okay, so there's no money. Too, there's from what I understand, there's no money. Okay, so what's the tangible barter that like that you experiences? Have? So basically, you get and again, I have so I'll I'll, I'm only I'll buy I'll buy out. this piece of something for. Um, 10 ultra tickets? Exactly. And if you've ever tried to buy an ultra ticket, you know how expensive that can be. Okay. Okay. I, I, I see it. Okay. So let me ask you something. Oh, and, and, and on the, the board. Best part, hold on. The best part is on the cover um, Uncle Moneybags. Mm-hmm. Or Penny. Moneybags is his name, right? Uncle Moneybags. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> He's wearing a participation ribbon. Oh my god, that's <laughs> awesome! <laughs> that is great. Oh my god, we, we gotta screenshot this and put I, it on our, we'll on our Instagram. We'll definitely post so, um, does the board have a safe space? Maybe that's the uh, maybe that's what Go is. Mm. Because go is you know where you, where you don't go to jail, so you kind of mm-hmm. sit there. I mean, I have to look into it a little bit more, and literally, I just kind of saw it, and I was like, "We got to talk about this." But what struck me as funny is just like you know, it's not offensive. Like, offensive to me would be like if they had you know Monopoly, the N word edition. You know, that's oh, offensive. Oh my god, don't even go there. But, but, no, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's offensive. Well, okay, but nowadays the problem is that uh, offensive. <laughs> The term offensive now is used for anything and everything. Correct. Right. Right. right, right. So, right. Uh, <laughs> they don't realize that it's a parody, and parody has to do with humor. Well, because people aren't funny anymore, remember? Like, we can't make fun of anything anymore. Because mm, it's yeah, offensive. Because it's offensive. It's a vicious cycle, which is why I use the square. <laughs> but, you know. I'm more of a polygon person. But your four corners really offend me. Your four you're trying to put me in a corner, and I don't appreciate that. You know what I often wonder? In Hialeah. Let's bring it home for all our right, listeners right. who know Literally, Hialeah. we're recording in Hialeah. Do you think there are millennials in Hialeah? Because if there's one thing that Hialeah is, is you could you could say a lot of things about Hialeah. But you can't say they're coming But Hialeah keeps it real. <laughs> they keep it so real, they spell it R-E-E-L-Z. <laughs> they keep it real. Here. Reels. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I've come across many millennial. I mean, they exist. <laughs> well, in terms the of the demographic, age, right, the demographic, right, 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 right. yeah. But I think that has, has has a lot to do with culture. You know what I mean? Como todo decimos, this is, well, to continue to quote our BFFs on Mamas and Merlot, it's really a bunch of white nonsense. <laughs> you know that honestly? That has permeated itself. Well, I, I, think, I think you were one of the people I spoke about this to years ago. Mm. I didn't know the PSL thing. You didn't know? Uh, no, I just... You didn't know about like, hi, I'm going to go get a PSL wearing my Uggs and I'm nope, just going to go... I, I didn't. You know, when when I started seeing memes about it, because you know me, I'm very I'm very up to date to things and very in touch yeah, with but all that. As we established in the last episode with, the, with the, if you see Kami, sometimes you Some don't things catch things. Totally right. go off my right, radar. Right, right, right. And I'm like... But doesn't everybody like pumpkin? I mean, I don't. Whatever. Right, I, but I, you didn't understand. Like, I could like, take whatever. or leave pumpkin spice. Right. I, I mean, if I have something that has pumpkin spice, great. And if I don't, what if she's the replacement for Posh on the reunion tour? <laughs> I've seen that. Um, but I mean, I didn't know that it was a thing, like right, a white right, girl thing. Right, right. I didn't. I, I didn't know that at all. You um, didn't know that that's the preferred drink of basic Becky's everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> basic Becky. In the morning, at night, they prefer Chardonnay. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. So what do our listeners think about this? <laughs> I think most of our listeners probably don't even think. <laughs> they're, they're probably just like, I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, I've, I've heard you use that term recently a lot, the white nonsense. White nonsense. Because I love it. Thank you, girls, for, for bringing it into my life. It's it's just so encapsulating. Because you and I have said this several times where it's just like, in our countries of origin, I think I'm, I'm going to go ahead and do something I shouldn't do, which is speak for most Hispanics. You're worried about so many other things mm-hmm. that are a little bit more life and death, like, oh, mm-hmm. do I get to eat today? Mm-hmm. That you're really not that concerned about whether or not somebody's giving you a participation ribbon. Right. <laughs> you know that all this talk... Um, about participation ribbons? 
participation ribbons, yeah. Do you want me to get um, you one? No, 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 no. I don't need one. That's okay. I'm going to have one for everybody at Christmas. That reminded me. I, I forget if we if I mentioned it here in the on the podcast. A couple of weeks ago, I binged Dear White People. You didn't mention it here, but I saw it on your Instagram. Yeah. Um, I'm totally in love with that show. And the great thing about that show, going back to parody... Well, it's Did you not see the movie parody. That it's based not, on or no? Huh? Did you see the movie it was based on? No, I haven't seen no. the movie. But what I love about that show is it's a very smart show, and I'll tell you why. The entire premise of the show in terms of the humor mm-hmm. is based on irony. Okay, which if you don't do it well, it comes off horrible. If you don't do it well, it comes out horrible. And I think if you're not open-minded... <laughs> you don't understand you don't what understand trying it. to say. Because, right. for example, when that show came out, and I really recommend that show to our listeners. Dear White People, it's on Netflix. It's, Netflix it's original. It's only two seasons. It's been renewed for a third, but the third one hasn't come out. Mm-hmm. And I think each season has... Uh, how, how much was it? Like 10 to 12 episode, episodes? Mm-hmm. Or 13 episodes? And they're half hour each, so you'll browse through them so it's really good because the criticism that show got was that it was racist towards white people mm-hmm. because they call out a lot of the white nonsense, white nonsense yeah. but what's really interesting is that for example the main character in that show who has the show dear white people because it's based on a, like a radio, radio show on a right? campus radio show right. called dear white people and she's the host and she calls out white people for the white nonsense the so-called <laughs> white nonsense and she um you know she's constantly like saying because you know you've oppressed us and you know we're we're the oppressed and right. the typical you know, things you tend to hear yes but but She's also half white. Her dad is white, and her dad is like the love of her life. Like she <laughs> loves her father, and she's in love with a white boy. <laughs> so oh, okay. So you know, it's like those. It's like those iron. It's like it's all based on irony. And then, like for example, she really calls out like the white clicks. Right. You know, like, oh, here you have the emo people, and here you have, right, like... the stoners the, and the nerds. The, and right, the, and the girls that think they're, you know, like, the Kardashians. Right, right. But then, within, like, the black kids, they have their own oh, cliques and own stuff cliques. like that. Absolutely. So it calls, you know, it, it calls on on that dynamic, and it's, again, it's a show that's totally based on irony, and it's, it's really cleverly written. And the dialogue, you would love it, because the dialogue, it's, like... Fast. It's ratatat. It's like, oh like my god! Endings. It's like on fire. It's like a hundred miles an hour. The dialogue, which I know you enjoy yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you could watch it in like a two days. That like show. a weekend. Yeah, um, but it's great. I really recommend it. And and again, it's one of those things that it's based on irony. And if you don't sit down and listen to it and see it in its full like spectrum. It's very easy to say, like, oh, my God, I'm so offended by this. Right. You know, this is so offensive to me. Like, that's not true. And it's like, okay, you're kind of missing the point, how right. this is tongue-in-cheek. Right. So, you know. Well, we're not known for subtleties anymore, I guess. I guess not. Yeah. <laughs> I guess not. So, anyway, moving right along. <laughs> so, Dear White People, Netflix. I also recommend on Netflix... Since we're talking okay, about Yaka, 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 we're giving free free plugs. So where I also recommend the final season of House of Cards. House of Cards. Well, you were with me this past week, and you know I didn't yes. stop talking about yes, it. Now with one hundred percent less pedophile. <laughs> oh my god! 
Okay, I wasn't going to go there. I just simply was going to say that despite the fact that the show had to overcome the loss of its main character or one one of its main characters, the show left you with a bang. And freaking Claire Underwood, my God. She's one of my favorites. Well, you've said that time and time again. Yeah, she. Um, I'm, I'm obsessed with that character. I need more of her. They need to make like a Claire Underwood movie. <laughs> like... House of Claire. House of Claire. <laughs> Actually, now you said last weekend. I want to give a quick shout out to the to the people who organize Gamer Comic Expo. Oh yes, for giving us the opportunity to go to the inaugural con. It was a blast. And we if you follow us on Instagram, yeah. you. You'd know firsthand how into it we got. Well, you got. Yes, sir. I was there decked out of my Nightwing cosplay. But um, we also got to meet some really cool people. Yes. Cosplayers, celebrities. If you have not had the chance yet, please visit our YouTube page and check it out. We got a bunch of interviews there with with some cool people, specifically with Danny Trejo. I mean, freaking Machete. Yeah. We spoke to Machete. You know, cosplay, uh, game, game, you know, gamers, um, you know, comic book, obviously. I have to say, that's not your... It's great to feel out of your element. Yeah, that's not your lane. No. But you were you were a trooper and you were I was. You, you were and I realized that this is like my third or fourth convention with you. Yeah. That's <laughs> about it. Yeah. yeah well, right. who's counting? <laughs> Apparently we are. Apparently we are. So, you know, keep it coming. I'm totally down for going to Comic-Con. Yeah, but you know what the next one we're going to find a costume for you. Okay. We're going to find a costume for you. I don't know what, what we should what we should dress you we'll up. We'll cross as. our bridge when we get there. I'll be that green little thing from the Flintstones. <gasps> the Great Kazoo! Yeah, him. That would be fantastic. Also, because you're so freaking tall, it would be great to have like a six foot tall Great Kazoo. That's awesome. <laughs> and it'll be so funny the people who don't get it. They'll be like, who are you? What are you? No, Listen. no, I mean, I mean that in that environment, people will get it. Okay, yeah, but with that said, I mean, I'm pretty versed in characters. And work I was like, I was like, I don't know who that is. That's like, I, I've told you this. When I was in, in the Midwest, living in the Midwest, I always, always for Halloween, we, you know, we go to these like huge Halloween parties. And I always wanted to dress up as, as a Chapulín Colorado because I'm like, nobody here is going to know, know about the Chapulín Colorado Aww. unless like the lone Latin guy, you know, and I'll be like, a Chapulín Colorado. And I'll be like, yes. Oh, Somebody the red who gets me. I didn't know that Chapulín was Grasshopper until like three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So, oh, I don't. anyway, well, we have... You know probably, a, yeah, he probably does know <laughs> that Chapulín is, is a Grasshopper. Yes, and guest. we have a very exciting interview. <laughs> yeah, so we... I mean, it, we've gotten to meet so many interesting people, but we got to interview documentarian Billy Corbin. Now, for those of you who just think we said we're going to talk to the lead singer of Smashing Pumpkins, no, we said Billy Corbin, not Corrigan. <laughs> Um, he's a documentarian who's done Cocaine Cowboys. I mean, that's really his most infamous one, mm-hmm. but he's also done The U. He's got a new one coming out called Screwball, which is all about the A-Rod yes. steroids, which yes, yes, DJ yes. is just salivating to watch because, mm-hmm. you know, no love lost between you and A-Rod. But. Nope. Sorry, Mr. <laughs> Jennifer Lopez. And it's also Which I'm, I'm sure that's how he fan. loves being referred to as Mr. Mm-hmm. J-Lo. Well, you know, there, I, I used to refer him as something worse. That's a step up. I used to refer him as the cancer in the Yankees. So being Mr. Jennifer Lopez is actually a good thing. It's a great thing. So does that make J-Lo chemo? Oh, my God. (laughs) Go on with what you were saying. (laughs) Anyway, um, so we got the interview coming up. And now, stay tuned. It's going to be a good one. 
everyone, welcome back. And as promised, today we have Billy Corbin. Yes, for those of you who don't know, he is a documentarian who has done various documentaries such as um, Dogfight, coming up now, Screwball, and most famous, or depending on who you talk to, infamously, uh, Cocaine Cowboys. So welcome, Billy. Thank you for coming on the Pero Let Me Tell You, Billy. Thank you for having me. As promised, you are men of your word. <laughs> so, um, you know, in terms of so before we get into your go, work, right? before we get into your work, uh, what I think is really interesting, obviously, is that you are a you know a Miami boy. Yeah. So, tell us a little bit about you know growing up in Miami and exactly where you come from and and you know your experience as a kid here in Miami. Well, I'm a gringo, uh, a native. <laughs> You're uh, the one native. <laughs> Native Floridian and uh, and lifelong Miamian. Um, I was born actually in Fort Myers, moved down to Miami when I was about maybe three years old and uh, have been here uh, ever since and uh, lived originally moved to the, the city of North Miami Beach, which I believe is the only city in America with beach in its name that has no beach uh, in the city. <laughs> um true. But that's but that's the story of Florida, you know, lies that came true. That just kind that of was, blew my mind. Yeah, <laughs> that, was, that was that was also the story of Fort Myers. I mean, my grandfather was in the real estate racket. He actually bought um, this property, which which was swampland that had been drained um, and 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 built one of the first uh, suburban, you know, like planned communities in in it's called lehigh acres yes um in 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 fort myers and so they the one of the first things they did there was they paved roads you know they created a grid you know that was the first thing so you just had these paved this like grid it almost looked like a you know a checkers board or a chessboard from the sky and then just long endless miles of paved roads in a grid and then nothing else because they hadn't really broken ground on, on anything yet. But they needed roads, obviously, to even begin construction and to, uh, to build a community. And so what would happen is they would show up in the morning, the construction crews to start working, and they would discover like an abandoned plane oh, out on one of the roads. And they'd be like, why the hell is there a plane? abandoned on the roads it turns out of course that when you have a long miles long stretch of clean paved road in the middle of nowhere it's a very convenient landing ground for drug smugglers who knew who knew and right. so and <laughs> i was, was just thinking like drag racing you know? <laughs> <laughs> just a terribly convenient spot to uh land uh, a, a plane with illicit uh, drugs aboard. And so um, that was, uh, I was not exactly exposed to that in my youth, but I certainly heard uh, those stories. I was barely, you know, barely single digits, but that's how we kind of grew up. And then we came down to Miami and it was a very interesting time. We moved to Miami, I think in about 1981, uh, 82, mm -hmm. 83, right about there. Um, that was right when the homicide rate was, was peaking uh, down here. So it was a, a terribly exciting time. Uh, late, later on, when I, when I started to gather with my producing partners, Alfred Spellman and David Sipkin, the, the local news footage from the archives that wound up making up, you know, a very significant part of the Cocaine Cowboys documentary. This was all the news footage that I had grown up and you guys grew up yeah. kind of watching, you know, in the kitchen at 5 p.m., the local news while, while mom is making dinner and, you know, you're doing your homework and there's all this crazy shit. And, and, I, and it's one thing to watch it night after night growing up. And then watching it all together, hours and hours on end, you know, strung out together um, in, in a timeline when we were researching the documentary, I called up my mother and I said, 
what the fuck were you thinking raising children down here uh, in those days? It's what the hell say that. the matter with you? Like, well, I'm actually <laughs> glad that you started off with that because, you know, we're about the same age. We were yeah. children in the 80s. And obviously, growing up in Miami, I'm, I'm from Kendall. We knew yep. what Nobody's was perfect. <laughs> oh, well, technically, we're from Westchester. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. You, you pronounce it's Wechette. Wechette. See, he is a Miami boy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, totally. Bro, uh, Jose Canseco Boulevard, bro. <laughs> anyway, um, so obviously, you know, growing up in the 80s in Miami, we, we knew about the drug issue. We knew that we, as we used to call them, marimberos, uh, were all over the place. We, my parents were always like, Oh, you see, so and so, they just bought a boat, a house in the Keys, and you know, and that's why we don't go to their house for parties. That's what. <laughs> that's why we're not yeah. going there anymore. But obviously, growing up as a kid, we we kind of knew what it was. We we, but we obviously we heard didn't it, understand but we didn't know. the whole logic. So, would you say that that was your first? Did growing up at that time and in this place, did that was that initial inspiration for you to eventually do these documentaries or just as an adult you said hey i really want to do this or was this something looming in your head even back then well well two things that you notice because when you're a little kid you're not necessarily aware of drugs like that's not necessarily right. something when you're when you're that young that is on your your radar there's really no basis of understanding for it you know there's not you know, even if even if you'd seen someone doing cocaine, you wouldn't even know, you know, what the hell was going on. So my earliest memories first, I, I definitely have a recollection of crime. You know, mm -hmm. crime was an issue. Um, there was violent crime. There was all sorts of crazy crime happening all the time, all around us. I remember, you know, seeing police, uh, 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 you know, crime scene, passing crime scenes. I remember um, you know, stories of horrible crimes being committed in and around our neighborhood in North Miami Beach growing up. Um, but the most distinct memory that I have, earliest memory that I can think of, is of the money. Yeah. I, I remember people, you know, in very much the same way your your parents would point out the new boat, you know, that, that a neighbor would get. I, I remember all around us in this, you know, essentially working class, predominantly Jewish neighborhood that we were in. Uh, I remember people had money. They weren't flush with cash. They weren't rich, but they would have a new car. They'd have a Porsche in the driveway. They would have. They would be adding a second story to their modest single-family home. They'd be. Yeah. They'd be making a new pool or fixing things up or a new piece of jewelry. None of these people, even to this day, am I aware were in the drug trade. But what they were, the 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 beneficiary was. Uh, trickle-down economics, Reagan's yeah. famous theory that the only successful <laughs> real-world example that I can think of of That's Reagan's awesome. trickle-down economics was the drug rush, was yeah. the cocaine boom in Miami in that era because if you were a car dealer or a jeweler or a grocer or you sold wine or you Architect. sold real estate, you know, like my dad did, everybody had enough extra money kicking around because of all the cash in the community. You know, uh, it, it literally trickled down into every facet and every part of and sector of the economy, whether you were legitimately involved in the drug trade or you were just a benefit, everybody here in a way was a beneficiary in some way of it, I believe. Indirectly, yeah. And we were the ultimate exception to the rule. Well, actually, yeah, listen, the woman who cuts my hair to this day, she has a story. She told me a story um, about how, like, you know, back in the 80s, she'd be cutting hair. And, you know, when, when, you leave the salon, you know, you come, you give her a kiss goodbye and you slip her tip, you know, into her right, pocket, right. you know, so she would go home 
and she would turn her pockets inside out. She'd have all the, you know, the money balled up or folded up in her pocket. And one day she finds a little baggie with white powder oh, shit. that one of her uh, Colombian female customers had apparently slipped into her pocket as a tip. And she was so naive. She said to a girlfriend of hers, she said, what the hell is this? And she said, honey, that's better than a tip. It's worth more than gold. for that's, crying, for Yeah, crying that's the that. ultimate frosted tip. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so... So obviously you have all this going on around you as a kid. When do you decide now, you know, obviously you're an adult, you're, you know, post-college. When do you decide I want to do a documentary about this phenomenon really that was occurring at Miami in the 80s? Because obviously a documentarian has to do research. You have to collect things. I mean, it's not like I wrote a script. Let's go film it. There's, there's so much more to it. Yeah. Well, that wasn't until much later when we actually became documentarians. Uh, you know, we weren't we were filmmakers early in life. Okay. You know, but 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 we were not documentarians yet until we did our first doc, Raw Deal: A Question of Consent, that premiered at the Sundance Film Festival correct, correct. in uh, two thousand one, and um, that doc really exploded um, at the festival, and we. We did a lot of press. We did like 50, 60 interviews in six days. Oh my gosh. And everybody asked us the same question. They said, now that you've, you know, you have arrived, you are the stars of Sundance, right. so to speak. Um, like, what are you going to do? You're going to move to New York or L.A.? And, and as obvious as it was to, to them that we, would, <laughs> that we would move to New York or L.A., it was just as obvious to us that we were going to come back home to Miami. First of all, that's why you call it home. It's where you go when you're done with other shit, you know. Um, and so <laughs> – we were coming home to Miami and we really wanted to, we didn't want to be like three more schmucks peddling our wares in New York or LA, you know, like all filmmakers go to New York and LA. We wanted to actually kind of take a little bit of a risk, but build our brand and build our company as quote, the Miami guys, end quote. Like we, we wanted, we wanted the, our geography to uh, play into our brand and we wanted people around to go, oh, those are those Miami guys, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, those are those Miami guys. So, cause other, cause otherwise you're just, like I said, another bunch of guys in New York or LA. So to, in order to achieve that raw deal was a true crime, Florida story, but it was not a Miami story. It was not a South Florida story. It took place at Gainesville, in Gainesville, the university of Florida. So, um, so we needed our Miami calling card is what we called it. And we came up with, you know, with this idea, um, that was always kind of in the back of, of our minds, particularly Alfred Spellman. He, he had, uh, our producing partner, he really thought that this should be the next thing that we did. Um, and we decided to pursue it. We called it city made of snow. Mm. Um, and we started to pursue, uh, sources, um, who would go on camera and, and would talk to us about this era in, in vivid and, and sometimes gruesome, uh, detail. And, and, and it was just, that, it, it was, that, that was, was one the, of the, the things process. from, from the documentary that really kind of blew my mind was how you got all these people to yeah. speak on the record about some pretty shady stuff. Yeah, because most of these people, these you know underworld people, were still around and kicking up until like a couple of years back. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the last ones to get killed was Griselda Blanco, and that yeah. only happened like what three, four years ago. Yeah, but but I mean, even the people that sat down for interviews, I'm like, yeah. how the hell did, <laughs> did he get yeah. that? How how did that happen? Well, you know, with these things, have to I, I say, has the story ripened? We always say, has the story ripened? And mm-hmm. and Every story takes a different amount of time uh, to ripen, you know, depending on depending on how traumatic an experience it was, depending on the kinds of characters and people and personalities that were involved. 
Um, and and it has to ripen with respect to access to the 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 first person storytellers who experienced and lived it. It has to ripen with respect to the the marketplace having obviously hopefully an interest in hearing these stories. So um, we just thought that that the marketplace had had ripened. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for, first, that was the sort of business calculation. Was that you have to remember this time period? And we're talking about like two thousand four, two thousand you know, three, four, five, you know, right around there when we were making it and decided to first decided to make it. Yeah. You, the, um, uh, Scarface had been released on DVD, you know, the 20th anniversary yeah, sure. edition. And it, it outsold like ET and Jurassic park combined on DVD for universal home video. And Def Jam records was, did like a tie in, you know, inspired by soundtrack release. Um, mm-hmm. the, the biggest mm-hmm. selling video game of all time at that moment was, Grand Theft Auto Vice City, True. which took place entirely in a Miami 80s milieu. Um, Michael Mann had finally announced that he was going to do a Miami Vice feature film once and for all. Um, mm-hmm. Miami Vice Season 1 came out on DVD with all of the original soundtrack music. They went back and relicensed. Like It seemed to be you know, this nostalgia cycle that's, that's – nostalgia cycles seemed to run in like 20-year intervals, and it seemed that like – shit was into Miami eighties again, you know, you know? And so, um, so it just seemed like, like the, like the right moment. And then enough time had passed to where the people who were involved in this either had done their time, you know, they, they, uh, enough time had passed to where they did not feel threatened or in danger, uh, anymore. And then it was just a matter of finding the people that were ready and willing to, to have those, those frank, uh, conversations. Funny enough, the original vision for Cocaine Cowboys uh, back in the early to mid aughts was to tell the story of Willie Falcone and Sal Magluda, who were all, world champion offshore powerboat racers and the biggest Cuban cocaine traffickers in history, uh, and their sensational federal trials that occurred uh, in 95, 96, and then uh, 2002. And, um, but what we discovered, because the case had just sort of Started to, there were still kind of cases lingering by mm-hmm. 03, 04, 05 that right. it hadn't ripened yet. People weren't willing to talk. People were still scared. People were still, you know, uh, just it, it hadn't gotten to where we needed to go yet. And so Cocaine Cowboys, as we ultimately uh, devised it and finished, it was actually our plan B. That was our backup plan. Oh, wow. uh, the movie that we the movie that we made. Um, and so that's that's a good example of a story that hadn't ripened yet. And so we had to find another way of of telling that story and ultimately found John Roberts, Mickey Monday, Jorge Riviala, Griselda Blanco, and the various other uh, interview subjects that, that helped. We, we called it a mosaic, you know, where each of those people that we interviewed, the cops, the attorneys, the, 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 the reporters, the, you know, the, the contract uh, killer, the enforcer, the wholesaler, the smuggler, they were all individual tiles. Mm-hmm. in this mosaic and once we put them all together and we zoomed out to look at the greater whole they formed you know like the skyline of downtown miami you know and that that was the ultimately the story we wanted to tell was where miami was a character and how america's casablanca here was really addicted to drug money and and we have an environment where with a transient population a lack of institutional memory uh, a very third worldian economy and perspective when it comes to to government and so that really created this perfect storm. Uh, and of course, obviously, our, our thousands of miles of unguarded shoreline, our right. geographical uh, uh, pro- proximity to, uh, you know, to, to the Bahamas, to Colombia, to Jamaica, um, you know, 
created this perfect storm where uh, Miami just sort of thrived in this in, in this trade and in this era. Well, what I found really interesting about the documentary was, uh, well, I found many things interesting, but one of the things was that, if I recall, you know, I, I guess I didn't realize how long the drug trade had been going on in Miami. And, you know, I remember interviewing a lot of people came on the documentary that they were doing smuggling drugs in the 60s and 70s like, yeah you always think of it as like the 80s the, 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 like the white guys right, were. right and then the moment the cubans and the colombians got there we screwed it up yeah <laughs> you know? sorry and it completely took a different course like i remember I, I i guess i didn't realize that it was something that was happening for so long but it was just i guess more on the down low it really was more underground whereas in the 80s it was all about excess. And... Yeah, well, there's also something to be said for Hispanics not knowing subtlety. Let me let me ask you this, Billy. Um, when you were doing, obviously, you know, no, knowing the the personal background that and knowledge that you had in this, when you were doing your research for this film, what would you say is the biggest thing that surprised you? Ready to pop the question. The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Huh. What was the biggest thing that surprised me? Um, I think that there was very little being done about it until the murders occurred. So the level, you know, we know Miami is a, as a very permissive town, a place to party. It's a place where people come and, and vacation and, 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 you know, what happens here stays here kind of stuff. But, but to actually sort of see it in action, um, that's a, that's actually an interesting pun in action, um, as, as you know, is what occurred is that like, as long as the money was pumping, nobody really cared about the drugs, you know, uh, cocaine was considered, you know, a rich person's party drug, you know, and, and it was very successful professionals or, 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 you know, well-paid professionals like doctors and lawyers and, and wealthier people who would go out for a weekend, you know, like you would any weekend party in this case, you know, not just drink and dance, but do some blow. And then they'd be back at work on Monday morning. You know, um, you know, there really wasn't an excess of, of overdose deaths yet. And so nobody really seemed to care about the drugs as long as the money that the drugs yielded were flowing into the community. It's only when the, when the drug wars started that people, you know, the, 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 the authorities started to really, uh, care about it because obviously, you know, with, with, with marijuana was a 
was a, 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 a cash business. You know, you'd buy it right. and, you know, by the pound or by the, the bushel or the, the bale and, and you'd sell it. And that would be that a very simple transaction. Um, and cocaine was a consignment business. It was so expensive. Um, you're talking about upwards of $50,000 for a, a kilo, which is 2.2 pounds. Nobody could really afford it. You know, if you were buying four kilos from somebody, you didn't just have 200 grand sitting around. So it was a consignment business. Somebody would give you the four kilos and then you'd go and sell it or resell it. And then you come back and pay the person, you know, obviously you make a profit and then you pay the person who you owe the 200 grand, the 200 grand problem is what happened if those, you know, that month or two weeks or three weeks rolled around and you didn't pay. Um, obviously you weren't going to file a lawsuit against them uh, for failing to pay you for your cocaine. <laughs> yeah, so of course people started to enforce their trade with these enforcers. And there was a, 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 a brand of violence that was kind of unique. Um, that, that a lot of the, 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 uh, has been attributed to the Colombians who had grown up in the era of La Violencia, you know, the decades long civil war. Um, and, and it was, it, 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 it begat this, uh, style of enforcement and this level of violence, public level of violence in Miami um, that was shocking, um, that was in broad daylight where there was potential collateral damage and in some cases real collateral damage of women and children who were not involved in the transactions who were who were getting you know hit in the crossfire and so that's when so that's what was surprising is that no one really cared about the drugs as long as there was money the second there was murder they're like okay we need to put a stop now to this which obviously right. is, is yeah which is obviously a very responsible thing to do but this idea that anyone really cared about the scourge of drugs or cocaine right. is total bullshit they right. they just i mean the politicians the 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 cops the lawyers everybody was just addicted to the money so it wasn't until Oh wait a second! Murder is bad. We need to stop murder. That they that they decided they needed to crack down on the drugs and the smuggling and all. So Corrupt what politicians, you, you say? What? what? Oh, I know. I should have checked to see if you guys in Hialeah were sitting down when I, re- <laughs> when, I when I revealed that. So, what would you say was the turning point in terms of like the the beginning of the drug wars? Is it the shooting at Dadeland Mall, like for example, that happened what in like eighty one or? Or that was really? Ju- uh, that was July '79. I remember oh. it well. I was one year old, um, oh. <laughs> and uh, and so, yeah. So that that no, was like was the first. There was kind of a one-two punch there. There was a, a shootout on the Florida Turnpike, and then there was in the middle of the day, you know, from car to car, and then there was the the Dayland shooting. Both of these turned out to be interconnected, a part of a a very specific drug war between you know two gangs, including Griselda Blanco allegedly and her husband at the time, and um. So they were, and and one was retaliation for the other, for the other, for the other. It was sort of this ongoing, you know, obviously that's hence the war uh, terminology. But like, um, that was, those were the, those were the first shots. That was really when people were put on notice. I mean, cops were carrying six shooters in those days in 79. And they showed up at a crime scene where there were hundreds of rounds that had been fired from a multitude, a variety of, of weapons, some 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 semi-automatic some just you know revolvers but you know this was a sobering moment for a police department that realized that they were totally outgunned and and you might remember the war wagon um which was this white econoline van that said like Mm -hmm. happy party time supply on one side and happy time party supply on the other with two different phone numbers that didn't match each other um that were kind of stenciled onto the side of this of this vehicle to make it look undercover and it was actually this like this reinforced war machine, war wagon, as they called it, with all these flat jackets hanging 
down uh, to provide cover in case of a car-to-car shootout. Uh, all of these weapons, um, it was like machine gun turrets. It was it was ridiculous. And for actually months afterwards, there was like this ongoing scare of white econoline vans. Like every time someone saw a white econoline van, they would call the police. But police didn't want to pull them over because they were they knew all you had to do was you know put your wild. sirens on, and these guys would open the back and open you know just op- unleash on you. You know, and, and you'd be gone. You'd just be Swiss cheese. So there was a lot. I mean, that was a very sobering moment. But even then, it took time for the laws and the law enforcement to really catch up with the level that the bad guys uh, were at. It still took a while for the police to kind of upgrade their arsenal and, and try to keep up with uh, with the cowboys. Wow, it's it's so interesting. It's just so interesting having grown up in here at that time. Um wh- I mean, this is kind of a frivolous question, but oh, I have a frivolous I, anecdote I, as well. I gotta so. ask because you know we have a lot of listeners, although not only all over the country but all over the world, um, and obviously a lot of people reference, especially during the '80s, Miami Vice. So you know, since you're our guest and you're the, the expert on this, how realistic would you say is Miami Vice to what was really going on here at that time? Generally, I think. Uh, uh, fairly realistic, specifically a little bit, a little bit silly. Um, you know, just in terms of how certain drug transactions would take place, those were a little, a little goofy. Definitely fictionalized. You know, like people, you know, you know, showing up with two, you know, two, three kilos or four kilos in a trunk in a dark parking lot, and then opening the trunk and then someone tasting the cocaine. Most people were not really dealing with strangers. People were, were in a network of people that they regularly dealt with for the most part. So it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't really like that. It was more of a, it was more of a company and, and, a, and, a, and a set in arranged transaction. Um, so it didn't quite happen like that. But some of the broader details, you know, obviously the level of the level of violence, the 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 glut of drugs, the impact of the money in terms of its corrupting effects on all levels of of our community and our criminal justice system. That was all fairly accurate. Obviously, you didn't have cops driving around in Ferraris, you know, you know, um, but 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 the the race boat element was very, very real. Willie and Sal, as I said, uh, uh, were offshore powerboat racers. That element was very much inspired by them. And in fact, at least half, if not more of the world champion champions in offshore powerboat racing in that time were known or convicted drug smugglers, either <laughs> uh, marijuana, cocaine, or both. Um, that was That's very well known. Uh, now it was pretty relatively well known in those circles uh, at the time, um, you know, in, in, in the powerboating circles and certainly in the law enforcement circles. That's why, you know, the, the, the cigarette boats and the Donzies played such a big part in, in Miami Vice. So they got, they got a lot of that you know, the, the big picture stuff kind of right. I, I always get, you know, obviously everybody in this town reps um, their neighborhood or their municipality. That's the thing that people don't outside, don't understand outside of here, that Miami-Dade is 34 different municipalities, you know, Very in addition to the, to the unincorporated Miami-Dade area or Metro-Dade as it used to be uh, known as. But like, so there's all sorts of people kind of repping all these different neighborhoods. And I, I say there's a common misconception about Miami that we are a melting pot, but we're not a melting pot. We're much more akin, I say, to a TV dinner where sometimes the peas fall into the mashed potatoes. You know, like yeah. we we self-segregated ourselves into these communities that with with sort of people who are, you know, 
similar color nationality. I mean, even in North Beach, you drive, you got to know what block, you got to see which flag is flying. There is the Argentina block, here is the Venezuela block, here is the Brazil block, here, you know, here is the Puerto Rico block. Like, like I say, you don't get into a road rage incident until you see which flag is flying, uh, <laughs> hanging, hanging from the rear view mirror, you know, because in Miami, you know, it, it, we are all kinds uh, uh, here. You know, it's like Game of Thrones in paradise, you know, in, in, in Miami. So, so I think that's important for people to, you know, to understand is the, di is the diversity is, is real, but so is the segregation. So there's a lot of, you know, it gets very, it gets very tense. And, and so I get offended in Miami Vice where they're like, they're supposed to be, I think, Miami cops, but yet their station is in Miami Beach and the yeah. cars are from Metro Dade. Like that shit bugs me, you know? <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Like, I'm like, okay. I'm like, which department is this? Like, you know, can yeah. we All just... Right. Can we just keep it straight, you know, like, like, like details like that. But that's kind of important for you to understand. Like, if exactly. you see a Hialeah police car, you're going to have a different feeling than if you see a Miami-Dade, you know, police car, for example, pulling you over. I, you know, yeah. I'll give you an example. When we're shooting the, uh, this new documentary uh, a couple years ago, I was driving with a notorious convicted drug smuggler pretty recently out of federal prison. And we're driving. He, we're driving right down Eighth um, Street. We're like, you know, we're in uh, we're in Westchester. Actually, we're right by FIU. Um, and uh, I think we went to. There's that Sarusi's that used to be there. It's gone yeah, now. Yeah, I think it was yeah. right by pizza uh, right by FIU. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so we we actually had lunch there. And then we're driving, and he's showing us some of the different properties and homes that they owned back in the day when they when Willie and Sal had you know were running the town. And he said, "Oh, we're going to go over to this place." So I look at it on. Google Maps and I'm like, yo, why don't we cut over the canal here and, you know, and drive, you know, it'll be shorter. And he goes, oh, no, 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 bro. No, no, no. He goes, that's Sweetwater over there. We never drove through Sweetwater. The cops are too corrupt, bro. Yeah, this is yeah. a fucking drug smuggler telling me this. <laughs> and he's saying life. they're corrupt. Yeah. Right. He, right. And he's like, oh, no, no, bro. We never go. The rule is we never go to Sweetwater. The cops are too corrupt, which I just thought was was classic. Give I have that same rule, but for different reasons. <laughs> By any chance, was was any of the properties he was looking at in like Lennar Homes, you know, like Eighth Street, like like one fifty something? Oh yeah, all that kind of. Because I know that was like Marimbero City in the eighties. <laughs> yeah, and then and, and then you had uh, like Leomar Parkway out yeah. there, out west. Um, they named the street Leomar Parkway after this guy Lionel Martinez. Um, it was like it was this stretch of Southwest 132nd Avenue and like within less than like a couple years later, he gets busted in a big drug trafficking ring with like violence and murders and all this shit. And then they just kind of quietly take his name down like they did for Jose Canseco right, in Westchester. Right. They just sort of quietly, so, quietly take his name down. Now that you mentioned Jose Canseco, <laughs> that is a perfect, <laughs> perfect segue into oh the next thing we want to talk to you about because you have a new um new documentary. documentary coming out called screwball and before we speak about screwball i need to go on the record and i need to full disclosure <laughs> i am a huge new york yankees fan i always have been i even go to new york to see them play wow. however I have never been an Alex Rodriguez fan, and I thought he was a cancer to this team. So full, dis full disclosure, full disclosure. So with that said, uh, tell us a little bit about your new documentary, Screwball. Well, let, let's just, you know, establish that that is only your opinion and the opinion of every Yankees fan I've ever met. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
and that's why I said full disclosure. I, I you know, yeah. you know where I stand. <laughs> it is not an unpopular perspective. Yeah. Uh, I'll have you know. Um, and uh, so, well, we living down in Miami, you know, we were hyper aware of the biogenesis scandal that erupted in in 2013, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, which led, of course, to the the suspension of Alex Rodriguez, that which was the the longest suspension I believe to this day in Major League Baseball uh, history, um, and really the capper to uh, the Bud Selig era of baseball, which yes. is of course the steroid era of right. baseball. So I think you know Selig was really you know they were kind of they wound up in a battle of legacies, you know, between basically this eccentric millionaire and this eccentric billionaire, you know, with the money of Major League and power of Major League Baseball. I like to think about it as the Manny, Barry, and uh, Alex era, but go ahead. For the record, <laughs> listeners, okay. this is the part where I have to play catch-up because I am so not a sports person. <laughs> I can sit here all day and talk about, you know, cocaine cowboys and dogfight and all the other ones, but baseball, you lost me. <laughs> well, what, what's fun about this is I'm not a baseball fan either. Alfred uh, Spellman, my producing partner, is. Um, he he. he 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 subscribes to like the MLB.com like you know season pass and so like he has a, a an iPad on his desk all season long uh, playing baseball games on mute or as I call it his screensaver. Uh, so <laughs> I've been known to I, do that. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm not a fan either, which is what's kind of wonderful about the story is that it it, it has practically nothing to do with baseball. Um, it is just this great Miami hustle story, uh, you know, about this. This guy who was an unlicensed doctor um, got his medical degree in Belize and uh, started to treat, uh, you know, kind of an anti-aging um, clinic with uh, treating patients with testosterone and human growth hormone, and started to build a stable of pretty high-profile professional baseball players, starting with uh, uh, with Manny Ramirez and um, working his way to the highest-paid baseball player of all time. Uh, Alex Rodriguez. And um, this obviously erupted eventually into a huge scandal, but it's a lot about sort of the the culture of fake doctors, you know, in, in South Florida um, and in the state of Florida. Um, we have a we have kind of an epidemic that the state does very little uh, to police um, and particularly in South Florida, where you have a lot of people from other countries who may very well have been doctors right. in their nation of origin and have a lot of patients, you know, maybe here um, to their to their strip mall storefront, you know, uh, medical clinics or whatever, who are also fr- from their nation of origin. So there's sort of a relationship or a trust there. Because if you're a doctor there, why aren't you a doctor here? You know, whenever whenever there's like a news story about like fake doctor found in Hialeah, I'm like, that's not a news story. A news story <laughs> would be would be real doctor found in Hialeah. You know, like um, that's called so, a Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. So it's like okay, but like. So that culture, the culture of, you know, the fact that, you know, the, the governor of the state of Florida was responsible for the largest uh, Medicare fraud in the history of the country. Um, so he's clearly not prioritizing cracking down on, on health care related fraud uh, in the state um, that you just have this kind of hustle town and this hustle yeah. state, not unlike cocaine cowboys, like anti-aging clinics were just like the new hustle. You know, in yeah. the zeros. Wasn't um, wasn't the one A Rod was going to allegedly was in some like run of the mill like strip mall like on the second floor or something? Because I remember I saw it on TV and I'm like, who would have known that A? I could just imagine being there and like <laughs> I see A Rod like what are you doing here walking in the was, parking lot? <laughs> it was on the first. It was a two story building, but it was on the first floor, right across the University of Miami, right across I, oddly from Alex Rodriguez Park. 
uh, oh <laughs> on my baseball gosh. field at Mark at Mark Light Stadium at Mark Light Stadium. Yeah. So um, it was on the first floor. There was no signage for most of its existence. Um, and Alex, to my knowledge, never went to the quote unquote clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a VIP client okay. that Tony Bosch um, had um, had had serviced on the road, you know, he would go to wherever Alex was, was playing. Exactly. House calls. He'd go to whatever boutique hotel he was at or whatever town he was, he was staying at, um, you know, during the season for a game. And he would treat him, uh, at his, at his apartment in New York on the Hudson. Um, he would go wherever Alex, uh, uh was. And, and, and so Alex never had to, had to come into, uh, to the, st- to the strip mall, uh, storefront, you know, office, uh, storefront, uh, there. He, he, he didn't have to deal with that. But, and, or, and Tony Bosch is an interesting character for people familiar with Cuban exile history. Yeah. He's really, he's related to Orlando Bosch, Bosch yes. who is one of the most famous and notorious, uh, anti Castro Cuban exile terrorists yeah. who was, um, charged with using a bazooka, a shoulder launching missile, firing a shoulder launched missile into a Polish freighter because, you know, communista, communista. And so they, he fought in the port of Miami. He stood on like the MacArthur Causeway, put this bazooka on his shoulder, fired a missile at this freighter and the missile hit the side of the freighter and rolled down the side into the, into government cut. Uh, Cause it never, it never armed. Uh, fun, fun fact, um, Orlando Bosch, um, he lived about two, three blocks from my parents' house. And I, I don't remember if it was in the late 80s or early 90s. They apparently, they got a lead on him. And like the SWAT team, the FBI, everybody came in and they closed down like three blocks around his house, Jesus. including my block. And I remember we couldn't get home because yeah, I mean, they had found him. Be- yeah. Because Miami, I mean, like I was literally, <laughs> literally driving down the street a couple months ago, coming to Miami Beach, our office is in Miami Beach, and I don't live on Miami Beach, so I have a commute. And so I'm driving down the street, and I see this this old, older Cuban gentleman kind of walking around the block, like almost kind of power walking, but he was like 90 years old, this guy, and I look closely, and it's Eugenio Martinez, who is one of the Watergate burglars, okay, yeah. Just doing, he lives in Miami Beach. He was just doing his daily sabbatical. He wakes up every day. He does like, you know, 10 push ups and then goes for a walk around the block, you know, to keep himself uh, young and vital. He's 96 years old. But they're, of course, of course, you're just driving down the street, Miami Beach, and you see a fucking Watergate burglar just, you know, going (laughs) to What else are you going to see? What else are you going to see? So, you know, for our listeners out there who maybe are not as uh, familiar about this, what would you describe, you know, the documentary is about? How would, how, what would you tell them exactly? And when does it come out? Yeah. So I, I would say it's a it's a Elmore Leonard, Carl Hyacin, Cohen Brothers esque take. Uh, it's a tale of Florida fuckery about like how that. basically the highest paid base player in the history of baseball was brought down over a four thousand dollar debt between a cocaine addicted fake doctor and his tanorexic steroid patient because Miami. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's the <laughs> that's the best way uh, to that. put it and it's 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 a total farce. I mean, we called it screwball, you know, because it's <laughs> like intended to be a comedy. Um and obviously some serious things happen in it, but the movie itself is just like um a pretty zany uh, comedic take on 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 the uh, the I, events. I have to say the trailer is genius. Um the fact that you have children 
um, in in the ro- you know the different roles of the characters involved was great. But my favorite thing that I took away from the trailer, and again because I'm a baseball fan and uh, a Yankees fan, I have a bit of a different perspective of it, was when allegedly A Rod said, "I want to take whatever Manny is taking." That was <laughs> great because you know. Uh, again, when you know the, the history the of, of yeah, uh, yeah. Manny uh, and, and A-Rod and, and all these guys. And Manny, and Manny had been busted the year before yes. um, for taking steroids, and Alex didn't seem to care. He just says, I want whatever Manny was taking. That was uh, apparently, one of the, according to Tony Bosch, one of the first things, if not the first thing, that, that Alex uh, said to him when they met at a hotel in Tampa uh, when he was in town, when the Yankees were in town for a game. Um, and, and yes, you, you, you pointed out that, that – you know, this is not a, when you make a sports documentary, like take the U, for example, right. um, it's pretty straightforward. You interview a bunch of players and coaches and press people, you know, sports reporters, and then they talk about a bunch of games and you get a bunch of game footage, you know, you know, and you, and yeah, you, and you, yeah, you intercut it with a, but they're like this FSU game, boom, this national championship game, boom, this bowl game, boom, and you just put it together. It's not paint by numbers by any stretch, but at least there's a guide. You know, there's there's a there's a, a basic premise guiding you. In this movie, all of these scenes took place in hotel rooms, in a you know, in a shady clinic, um, you know, at at, at restaurants and bars, at, at live nightclub in South Beach at the Fountain Blue. So there's no footage of that. There's no archive or, 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 you know, game footage. In fact, in the movie, the whole movie, they only mention three games in the entire movie, baseball games that we show you a little bit of footage from. Um, otherwise it's just these talking heads. And so we were faced with a challenge. What do you do about that? And so we knew we were going to have to do some recreations, you know, where we hired actors to perform these scenes that the, that, that our interview subjects are talking about. And so we came up with a, um, you know, a creative uh, solution. Uh, <laughs> and, sure um, and and we hired actors to lip sync the the dialogue right from the interview subjects, drunk history style. But the actors it. are nine years old and yeah. they have facial hair and they wear la- and they wear you know Yankees pinstripes uh, uniforms and they have lab coats and, and and like I said, facial <laughs> hair and gray hair and and we shot it all on location. So when Tony says, I was drowning my sorrows at the at the Tiki Bar at Ritz-Carlton Key Biscayne. Boom, we are at the Ritz-Carlton Key Biscayne. He says, I had to take blood from A-Rod at Live Nightclub. Boom, we're shooting at Live Nightclub. Right. Um, you know, they said, we had a we had this clandestine meeting, like uh, all the president's men style, but instead of at the uh, at the, the famous parking garage, right. um, you know, of, that, that Bob Woodward met, um, you know, uh, 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 met Deep Throat in. Yeah. Um, boom, they're going to do it at the Sports Grill South Miami across the street from the Boca Tanning Salon. So, boom, we're at, we're at the Sports Grill with these nine-year-old kids, you know, acting out the uh, the scenes. And, and and it's pretty funny, and and I, I think it, it, it worked really well. So and we shot all we over it? Miami, and it was a blast. Yeah, when can, when, when can we go check it out? So we just world premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival. Great, oh, great crowd. Two weeks ago, Great right? critics. Yeah, just two weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, we we're going to have the U.S. premiere at Doc NYC, which is in in New York, um, the second weekend in November, and then we are going to have our Florida premiere Friday, November sixteenth, at the Key West Film Festival. Um, and yeah, we gotta, we and we'll probably yeah, we got to figure out a way to get there. <laughs> we're sa- we're saving Miami. We're saving Miami uh, for you know the best for last because uh, you know, we'll probably do it up really big in Miami, but um, we're going to have some fun and. Um, so and, yeah, I'm just curious, have you heard from A-Rod's people? 
<laughs> no comment. <laughs> uh, you know, I, you gotta ask. You gotta I, ask. Before we went into you this interview, ask, yeah. before we went into the interview, I was telling Ish, I'm like, you know, I, I have to restrain myself a little bit in this portion of the interview because I don't want to go all, you know, rant on it. But you know, I, he's all Mr. Fancy ESPN now dating J Lo, but no, Yankees fans don't forget. It's, it's really, it's really surreal because as you have uh, observed, he was never well liked. When he was playing. Never. And he was a so jerk. this isn't even an image rehabilitation for him. This is an all new image. Like mm-hmm. nobody ever liked him. And now yeah, he's, he's, he's like, yeah, he's like a pop culture darling. And, and, and he's like, people love him. And it's, it's surreal, but it's, I mean, I, I never knock another man's hustle, you know? So I, 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 my, I tip my hat to him uh, for, for what he's been able to accomplish, but it, he never even had to go on the mea culpa tour, you know, he that Lance was, Armstrong he uh, was had, a, had to do. When he was a player, he was a pariah. I, as you yeah. said, fans did not like him. From personal experience, I, again, I'm a big Yankees fan. I would, uh, every year I would go see the Yankees, because I have a, a, another good friend of mine who's a very uh, a big Tigers fan, Detroit Tigers. So we yeah. would go to Lakeland where the Tigers have their spring training and we'd always go on a weekend where the Tigers were playing the Yankees and we would always, um, you know, we would both get what we wanted. Right. And going to spring training games is great because it's very laid back. There's no security. The players are very accessible. And I remember that for a couple of years that I would go, the players, you could greet them, Jeter, um, CeCe Sabathia, um, 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 um it, 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 all of them from mm-hmm. the Yankees would come and, and Posada, they would come, take pictures with you, greet you, not A-Rod. A-Rod, you would see him going all over, you know, in the back, just walking completely, ignoring people. And I'm like, whatever, dude, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. The highest paid athlete in the world and you forget how to play baseball in October. But well, that's that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a really interesting thing about it. A, a, a really astute journalist uh, from the, the Globe and Mail in Toronto uh said something like it, it isn't about about screwball the movie he said it isn't about baseball itself it's about america its institutions and losing faith in them um because you really see that everybody has dirty hands here especially major league baseball and the manner in which they conducted this investigation and just acted a fool down here uh in miami and and you know and and so I, and and alex is really you know it, it's it's not unlike the story of America, which is which is what we're teaching our children, is that honesty and playing by the rules is not a virtue anymore. It's seen as a liability. Right. And yeah. and and the message that we're sending to our children by way of, of screwball, by way of, of of this presidency is lie, cheat, and steal, and that's how you get to be the, you know, uh, the most that's powerful person in the world. That's how you get to 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 rehabilitate your career uh, as a you know multi million dollar you know uh, Sunday night baseball mm-hmm. uh, commentator. That's how, which is just which is again, it's it's not just the story of of it's not a story of baseball. It's not a story of Alex. It's a story of America and our institutions and how they are corrupt uh, and 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 failing us. But yet they are more successful and powerful than ever. Right. Right. I love that. I love that. And I am so excited about this documentary. Yeah, no, I mean, we definitely, like I said, we got to figure out a way to get down to Key West yeah. and, and check yeah. well, out. Well, I, 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 you could just build a raft, I guess. Well, <laughs> it is in our blood. Yes. <laughs> it, it is, is genetic. Really, I, I know is. a guy. I know a guy. <laughs> yeah. F- oh, funny man. story. Funny story. Um, on Cooking Cowboys, this is a wet chete story. Um, my, my director of photography on that project, uh, Armando Salas, uh, who's a very successful now uh, a DP. Uh, in LA, 
um, does incredible work. He, uh, he was two years old. He came with his parents uh, on the Mariel boat lift. They were they were they were not allowed to to leave. They were engineers and uh, architects, oh. and so they were considered people who were not permitted to leave the island. And right. so they had to like doctor some papers or lie and say that they were you know housekeepers or or custodians or something in order to get on a boat. And his grandfather, who was already in the United States, came over on a boat uh, to pick his to pick up Armando at at age two. His parents and of course the the uh, Castro soldiers at gunpoint forced them to take a whole bunch of other people on their boat. God knows who, you know, who those folks were. Um, and Armando uh, and his parents, his parents lived in Westchester. And when we shot Cooking Cowboys, we needed to shoot a bunch of crazy, weird B-roll and like mini recrees. And we wound up in his parents' garage in Westchester, um, <laughs> right off of Jose Canseco Way or whatever it was called. Um, and we shot a bunch of those shots, B-roll shots and, and, Recree type stuff in a garage in in Armando's parents' garage uh, in Westchester yeah, back were, in like five. You were by um by Coral Park, yeah, <laughs> Coral Park, not far from FIU, yeah. You know what? I, I have to say in closing, what I really like about you and and about your work is you know aside from the fact that it's really good, I, I feel that your work it, it it has something for everyone. Obviously, here being from Miami, we look at it from a certain perspective. But at the same time, somebody who's not from Miami, who has never been here, doesn't know about the culture here, can see this and completely be enamored by it and so intrigued by it. And I really appreciate the fact that you've done all this work, whether it was Cooking Cowboys, The You, now Screwball. You've done this work that shows multiple sides of the city because something that we've talked about here in the podcast before that we get a little bit frustrated on is that every time somebody... Yeah. Mentioned Miami. It's they, the beach. It's the beach, South Beach, partying, pub yeah. daddy. That's it. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. boom. You ask somebody outside of Miami, they think there's one hotel, the Colony on Ocean Drive. Like this, <laughs> you know, and, and people think when they say Miami, they literally think of 10 blocks from yeah. 5th Street to 15th Street cool. in Ocean Drive. The thing that really gets my goat, we were talking about like the details of the various municipalities, you know, yeah. that what those in movies and TV always drives me crazy. But like, how about during a Dolphins game or a, a Miami, University of Miami hurricane? home game which is in Miami Gardens at Joe Robbie Stadium and then they'll go from like the blimp shot of the stadium they'll crossfade to Ocean Drive I'm like motherfucker that's 20 miles away yeah. like, yeah. Oh, like you 20 miles you, and a good hour in traffic yep. yeah you'd, you'd think that like you'd think that that the, the stadium was sitting on Ocean Drive or right. something right. like it's in Miami Gardens like show a little respect you know Wait, like, it like, isn't? I, <laughs> I kind of liken it to whenever somebody goes to Cuba and they always take the picture of that one damn uh, Chevy in, in La Habana. Like, yeah. there's that one that I think it's like a bluish green. It's yeah. in front of yeah. the and, medio, and everybody condition. takes that damn picture, and it's like, that's all Cuba is. Yeah. It's that yeah. one area. So, the Colony Hotel and is Miami. That's it. I'll tell you, that was part of our gamble when we decided to be the Miami guys to come back here, to not move to New York or LA. The gamble was that we were going to be local filmmakers or provincial filmmakers, that people weren't going to be interested in the work because it was so Miami centric or Florida, you know, Floridiana, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and, Obviously, the benefit of, of Miami is that it is one of the most famous name brands and cities in the world. And so people are interested in it. And the, the Florida of today is the America of tomorrow. And if you want to learn something about the rest of the country or what, what challenges we'll face or calamities we'll face in, in, the, in the years to come, you need only look at, at Florida or South Florida. Uh, T.D. Allman said that. We're like the, the bellwether, the canary in the coal mine. So, you know, <laughs> it, it, it makes it. Miami, a very important city. It makes Florida a very important 
uh, state to the rest of the country and the rest of the world. And so, you know, I, it, it's, it's it, the sense of pride, of course, that people care about our stories and our characters and what happens here. And, and one of the greatest compliments I've, uh, I, I think we've gotten about our stuff is like, take the you, for example, you know, um, people, uh, 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 who don't care about football, American football, you know, watch it all over the world and it makes an impact. I hear from people who are like, I hate sports or I hate college football or I hate football and my, my, my girlfriend made me watch it or my boyfriend or husband or wife made me watch it and I loved it. You know, I don't even like football. I don't care about football. I never watched a football game, but I loved the documentary. And, and I think that's what Screwball is going to have the same effect. Like it doesn't matter if you've ever even heard of baseball before, it's not about baseball. And so you'll be able to enjoy that. And the fact that people outside of here, uh, a very quick, funny story. I needed to interview a Colombian um, drug money launderer. And as you do, as you do. <laughs> and we were going to fly him in, keep him anonymous. You know, we silhouetted him and, and, and made his voice sound all, you know, distorted and robotic in the interview. But I needed to, to talk him into coming and going on camera and giving us and trusting us to do this interview. So I, I'm talking on the phone with him on this weird anonymous number. He called me um, from this unknown number in Colombia, and we're talking and, and he said, what is your name again? I said, Billy Corbin. He goes, spell it C-O-R-B-E-N. He goes, uh, I've, I've heard of, uh, I've heard of you. I've heard of your work. And I said, oh, yeah, well, you know, we did this documentary called Cocaine Cowboys, assuming, right. you know, me, me, me being, uh, me racially profiling him, I assumed that the Colombian money launderer was going to be familiar have. with our Cocaine Cowboys work. He goes, no, no, he goes, I've heard of that. He goes, but you did the you with Michael Irvin. <laughs> and I was like, and I laughed. I was like, what, what do you know about it? What do you know? He goes, oh, I love that movie. I love Michael Irvin. I loved him in the Dallas Cowboys. I'm like, yeah. he's like, I, lo I love American football. And we had this very funny, we kind of bonded over the you, which I, I, I didn't think to lead with that. If you know what, you know, to lead right. off with that in my pitch to him, you know, I, I totally, I totally buried the lead there because he, 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 he was all about the you, which I, which is just, again, the way this work, you, you know, know, travels and translates, it's been a real, it's been a real pleasure, story. and it's been a real pleasure <laughs> repping the 305, and a little, it's been a pleasure, but a little less so repping the 786. Oh, well, yeah, no, you don't, 786 has no ring to it. We, in an earlier <laughs> No episode, pun intended, after in I said earlier, it. earlier episode, we said that 786 is like, what is it, 9 um, in New York, it's, oh. uh, two, everybody wants to be a 212, right. but yeah. nobody wants to be a 9, what is it, the 9? Nine, 917. 917. Nobody yeah. wants to be a 917, everybody wants to be a 212, yeah. that's... Well, right. I, I had asked, you know, when, when, when Pitbull uh, became Mr. Worldwide, you know, I was <laughs> like... Could I be Mr. 305? And they're like, well, kind of like Dwayne Wade is kind of Mr. 305. Like DJ Khaled's Mr. 305. So I was like, could I be Mr. 786? Could I? <laughs> I think I you should. It's still <laughs> open. I say run with it, Billy. It's still open. <laughs> and you know Pitbull. Yeah. You know somebody who knows somebody who knows Pitbull. Yeah. So yeah. why not? Well, listen. No, no. This is Miami. We're all one or two degrees away from Pitbull. Let's yes, be real about that. Yeah, Actually, Darling. I, I yeah. do know somebody who knows, who knows Pitbull. Pitbull. Yeah. <laughs> you know me. I know Pitbull. <laughs> well, there, there we go. go. Now I know somebody else. <laughs> Darling. Anyway, Billy, thank, thank you, you so much. much. I mean, you are the epitome of what our podcast, uh, you know, represents, and you know the the message and the the what, what we, we like want to be when we grow up. Uh, as a podcast, so, if you were. It, thank you so much for being on our show. We can't thank you enough. Thank you guys for having me. I really enjoyed it. So welcome back, everyone. Yes, that was so much fun. Like that interview. I mean, we could have yeah. really. You know, it's one of the going. things that I like about, like, really, really like about him is that he's very Miami in the sense of like 
history yeah. and, and relevance. And, you know, everything that he was talking about in, in, in terms of what he researched and what he lived through, and, and especially well, well, we, the cocaine. We all lived through it. Right. Yeah. That's what I was saying. The cocaine cowboys movie and that whole thing. Because we are of a certain age already, right. we remember when we were kids in the 80s and this happening in real time. Yeah. And I understood, even as a kid, I understood. I was like... Something wasn't right. Marimberos aren't good. Right. Not going to lie. I, for the longest time as a kid, thought Marimbero was like a musician. Well, yeah. Right. No, but I didn't... Yeah. You know, make And it's funny because we always had, like, I remember... Mira, like we we knew someone who not somebody related to to us mm. but just somebody that we knew that like the wife didn't work and like I think he fixed air conditioning or he was a mechanic of sorts and you know all of a sudden they got a house in the keys <laughs> they got a um uh, a boat no they had everything they That's had it. everything um they, they had, had a, a huge house and I'm like wow. My father has like three jobs, and my son is my mom, and we can barely like afford bacon. Like, <laughs> like you get excited when you don't buy the Czech cola. Yes. <laughs> so whatever. So no, that was a great talk, and and everybody, yeah. especially you know, I know a lot of our listeners are from Miami or Miami based. Yeah. You, you know exactly what we're talking about. But, it, but it, even he if really not. captures it. Oh no, no. Yeah, I mean, the yeah. stories he has to tell are just yeah. fascinating, no matter where you're from. Yeah. Actually, the screwball, the the South, the Florida premiere of screwball is actually today. Um, yes. this, this Friday, uh, it's at the Key West Film Festival. Yes. So if you're in Key West and you're at the film festival, please go. Tell Billy we say hi. Tell him that you. <laughs> Pero let me tell you, sent you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So. So. You ready? I'm thirsty. You're thirsty. I'm thirsty. Estás un poco atorado. Yeah. You wanna go first? I'll go first. All right. Dale. So. You know how our motto here, in a way, is listen, laugh, and learn. Yes. And we like. For our listeners to be happy, smile, laugh with us, but we want them to learn something. Right. So my last Coke of the Desert is more on that learning kind of, you know. You're path. giving it to the Encyclopedia Britannica. No. I would give it to World Book because I still have my World Book Encyclopedia. I think we still have ours too. Yeah, I'm not getting rid of that shit. Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's dated as anyway, hell. So what? That's the beauty of it. <laughs> Anyway, oh, actually, something to that, to the World Book. So, World Book, you know, it features... Again, this like, is not his last soda, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, uh, no, it's not. World Book features, like, profiles yeah. on countries. So, when you go to see and look up Cuba, obviously, it gives a profile on Cuba and mm-hmm. the history of Cuba and the government of Cuba, blah, 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 blah. And then I remember there's pictures of it that it says, like, oh, the Cuban government, you know, gives free meals to children and free education. And, you know, whatever, whatever. And, you know, you, you see a picture right. of, like, a kid having lunch or, like, in a soup kitchen or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I remember showing that to my parents. Be like, eso es mentira. Allá la gente se muere de hambre. Que están dando comida. So, a little, little. Uh-huh. But anyway, I'm going to give my last Coke of the desert to a woman called Violet Jessup. Violet Jessup. You're not going to know who she is. Nobody is. That but sounds, this is that, where that, I want people to learn. so fantastically made up this is where i want people to learn so we all know about the titanic okay the titanic had two sister ships the britannic 
and the Olympic. Yes, they all end with IC. Well, that's why they're sisters. And you know that I'm a I'm a big big um, a fan of ships and ocean liners. I'm going to take you beyond fan. Yes, of ocean liners yes. and stuff like that. That's that's my thing. That's my jam. Yeah. <laughs> and and the, so yeah, the Titanic had two sister ships called the Olympic and the Britannic. So the Olympic was the oldest one of the three and had the longest career. The Olympic sailed for close to thirty years. And oh, that's a lot for a ship. Yeah, and. The Olympic was involved in a... Um, Doping scandal. No. Oh. <laughs> it was involved in a collision with another ship oh. where the hull, like the Titanic, mm-hmm. was pierced and the ship started to sink. But thankfully, it wasn't um, as big of right. a, a catastrophe as the Titanic. So I, I actually think nobody died, but it did. Sh- the ship did sink. It did okay. partially sink. And then they were rafts. they were able to repair it, and then she okay. went on to lead a very long life as an ocean liner. Mm-hmm. But that woman, Violet Jessup, was in that ship on I the think I know where you're going on the this. she was on the Olympic. Mm-hmm. Fast forward a couple of years, and she finds herself on the Titanic. Oh no! <laughs> yes. Oh no, Violet yes. Jessup. So she finds herself on the Titanic, and we all know what happened in the Titanic. Did she die? She survived. She survived? She survived. She survived. Now, the Titanic sank in 1912. Okay. In 1913, mm-hmm. we were already in World War One. Right. Okay. She was a nurse. Okay. And a lot of times during wartime... Mm-hmm. Um, I swear I got to big ships, going and you tell me she survived Hiroshima. Listen, I'm walking big out. ships, big ships... Are used for either hospital ships or right, right. to transport troops or something. Mm-hmm. So in 1913, the sister ship of the Titanic. So the Titanic sinks, mm-hmm. but she has her sister stick, uh, her sister ship, the Britannic. Okay. So remember, she was on the collision and the sinking of the Olympic. She was on the <laughs> on the sinking of the Titanic, and she survived both. And now she's on the Britannic, and the Britannic during World War One was turned into a. Um, hospital, okay, a floating hospital. So she, um, the the Britannic by Greece, it was sailing somewhere around Greece and the Aegean. It um, it hit a, a mine. There was a, a mine line, in the water, and the ship it blew. So it it caused an enormous gash in the hull, mm-hmm. and the ship actually sank. Um, quicker than the Titanic. Okay. There were a lot less fatalities because there was shallow water. Okay. It wasn't cold, and it was actually not too far from land. So, so I think that only like rescue uh, workers are probably going to get their quick right. Uh, I think only a couple of hundred people died, or like okay. not. It wasn't a large number. Okay. The people that did die on the ship, it's actually quite tragic. There were there like, were two lifeboats. Or there were two lifeboats that were lowered okay. at the end of the ship at the stern, <laughs> and they were lowered when they were not supposed to be lowered, and the suction of the propeller sucked in the ships and those people were chopped by the propeller. You could look this up on YouTube. Was Violet Jessup Guess there? who was one of the people on those um, little boats that Violet were being Jessup. sucked in by... Violet Jessup. And she survived. <laughs> she survived? She sur- She was the only person from the life boats that survived. So she was on the sinking of the Titanic. On the sinking of the Olympic and on the propeller debacle on the Britannic, which the Britannic sunk completely and it chopped up, revived all three. So, Violet Jessup, this Coke is for you. 
And she died. She she lived a long life. She died in like her 80s or 90s. You know what would be great is if every picture of like a horrible disaster just has Violet Jessup walking away. Yeah. Like like Bruce Willis out of, you know, Die Hard or something. Like the Lindenberg, she's just walking, walking out of the flames. Yeah. Like, you know, just there's Violet. Violet Jessup. The, Violet is unsinkable. I'm also starting to wonder if Violet caused all this. Maybe. She's the only common denominator. Yes. It's kind of like... When Aside from the IC. Yes. But, but she planned it yep you know what so violet jessup yep 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 you know what you did (laughs) but when i when i read that because i you know i know a lot about this this. huh how did you stumble on this well because i know a lot about all this stuff and you know what it is even though you know a lot about it you keep researching right right. and i've always known of the propeller incident Mm -hmm. with the britannic isn't that the name of an album the propeller incident? I don't know. Sure. I've always known about that. And the other day, like, I was actually reading about the victims. Okay. And and there were a lot of children because people were like, oh, no, no. Put the kids in the right. in the, um, in the the lifeboats first. Mm-hmm. And, and they did. And they got sucked in by the propeller and chopped up to pieces. Oh, no. But Violet was like, because hell no. You. And it's great because there's, there's a video on YouTube of talking about this and you, you it's an animation right, right, and you right. see the two ships the two lifeboats being lowered by the propeller and you see like you know they did like little cartoons of people right. and then you see like a little cartoon of a nurse and the little she says like this is not a good idea i'm getting out of here and that was violet <laughs> well so, any anyway. sodas for you <laughs> and i actually you know what on some weird level it makes sense that you chose the apparently indestructible Violet Jessup um, because my last soda is actually going to Stan Lee oh okay passed away this Monday Um, so for those of you who may not know and if you don't know shame on you um, Stan Lee is really just considered the the father of modern comics even Um, my mother knew who he was did she really she did she didn't think he was Spike Lee like that, no, uh, like no, that newspaper. My mom would not know who Spike Lee is, okay. but she knew who he was. <laughs> so, for those of you who don't know, he is the basically the father of the modern comic book. He created or co-created rather so many iconic characters like Spider-Man, the Incredible Hulk, Thor. Well, the Marvel version of Thor, uh, the Fantastic Four. He really is the reason that we have an entire franchise and all these movies we like to go see in the summer and the blockbusters. But what he also did was he took the concept that initially originated before he even you know started working in the funny books, which was you know good versus evil, and he he really put a human element to it. Before Stan Lee and his method of storytelling. The heroes really were just kind of stoic, and the good guy had no real personality to speak of. But once the Marvel Age started, and I'm a DC fanboy, so this is this is a big grain of salt for me to say. Um, he's the one who really humanized. You know, Peter Parker had girl problems. The Fantastic Four was a family that actually bickered. Um, you know, Matt Murdock, Daredevil, was a lawyer, but he was blind. So, you know, he really started to to give us things that were a little bit left of center. And we take it for granted nowadays, the idea of the flawed hero, the nuanced characters, um, because it's just always kind of been there for a big, for large swaths of us. But um, this is the guy who we can thank for it. And so, you know, as a lifelong comic book nerd, we just went to Gamer Comic Expo. Um, I definitely think that he's somebody who is iconic and will be remembered forever he has some controversy associated with him of course as all iconic characters do um but you know ultimately sir i i give you my last soda and i end it with your famous uh your famous catchphrase uh, catchphrase of excelsior well there we go but did he put violet jessup in any of his comics 
she the indestructible Violet. She Jessa. may have been the basis for the Hulk. We she don't know. We don't. We don't Iron Man. Who knows? Uh, Iron Man. Maybe she was. We don't know. He was in World War II. Stan Lee actually fought in, in World War II. I think so. Yeah. Who's to say? I don't know. He heard about this nurse that just wouldn't die. He's like, <laughs> These tragedies. This woman's indestructible. Boom. So yeah. Why not? Well, that was interesting. Yeah. That was an interesting last coke. So, well, listen. <laughs> Our listeners listened and learned. This is this true. last call. And I'm pretty sure so, they laughed. So, well, yeah, we hope you listened, laughed, and learned. Yep. And <laughs> what do they never, ever, 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 ever get to forget? Never forget your pastelito, your croqueta, and your jupinha. And thank yep. you so much, as always, for joining us. Yep. And if you have a chance, guys, check out some of our uh, our network brothers and sisters over at the Geek Bro Network. You know, you've got Shiver, um, What's Up Bro, Mamas and Merlot. You know, give them a shout out. Give them a listen. They've also got some great content out there. And, you know, it's a little on the geekier side of life, but there's something for everybody. Oh, Mamas and Merlot. No geeks there. They're awesome. They're geeks. Yeah, but those the, girl, those the girls, content... Those girls can throw down with the best comic book. Yeah, writer. they can. They can. Yeah. But, <laughs> and, well, no, because, I mean, I'm not, I'm not geek. I'm not a geek in that aspect, but... Right, well, yeah, geek can be so many things. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's undefinable. So, so anyway, well, everybody, thank you so much. Until next time. Hasta luego. Bye. Bye. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins a web, any size, catches seeds, just like guys. Look out, here comes the Spider-Man. Is he strong? Listen, bud. He's got radioactive blood. Can he swing from a thread? Take a look overhead. Hey there, there goes a Spider-Man. In the chill of night, at the scene of a crime, like a streak of light, he arrives just in time. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Welcome, fame, he's ignored. Action is his reward to him. Life is a great big bang up. Wherever there's a hang up, you'll find a Spider-Man. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist-approved, so fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.